Welcome in the Great Khan's Tent. History, Literature and Storytelling In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on YouTube. You can find us using this podcast name. Fear not, listeners, episodes will still be released on this podcast first, and it is only after a delay of a week that I will upload them onto YouTube. You can still find us on all your podcast providers first. Are you interested in getting the book you just published reviewed? Writing some piece of literature and need help getting it out there and promoted? Interested in sharing what piece of literature we should cover next? Well, fret not. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on Patreon, where your contribution can help in growing this podcast. For as low as $3 a month, a price less than a good, and I mean good, cup of coffee, you can help contribute to the growth of this podcast. Every bit helps, but as always, it is not necessary to do so, but will be appreciated. Find the Patreon link on our website, on our social media accounts, or email us and we can send it to you. Thank you. If you have any suggestions, comments, or complaints, please be sure to email us at all lowercase in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. That is in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. We would love to hear from our listeners. Thank you for listening, and now on with the show. In this episode, we conclude the story, the story told by the Christian broker with Knight 26, and in Knight 27, we begin the story, the story told by the Sultan's steward. The story told by the Christian broker was in essence a sad one. Although he does gain his wealth back and more by the end, what he has lost is more immense than can be recovered by mere wealth alone. This fact is clearly indicated by the merchant, who at the end of his story travels back to his home city of Basra with the broker, but leaves to return to Cairo, perhaps to be closer to his loved one. Although there can be many interpretations of what motivated the merchant, in the end it is followed on by the sultan hearing another story, this time from the steward. Why did the sultan not like this story? when compared to the story of the humpback. Probably because this was more of a romantic tale, while the humpback's one was more comedic. This new story, much like the story of the Christian broker, is again based on the experiences of a merchant, this time a store owner, who has debts to discharge incurred by his father, and how he meets a female customer who he falls in love with. These stories seem to revolve around the characters of merchants and their love lives in a more common setting, perhaps indicating who this tale, at least from the onset, was meant for when the storyteller plied his trade. Auzubillah minashaitan nirajim, bismillahirrahman nirahim. In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful. Praise be to God, the beneficent King the creator of the universe, who has raised the heavens without pillars and spread out the earth as a bed. And blessings and peace be upon the Lord of Apostles, our Lord and Master Muhammad and his family. Blessings and peace enduring and constant unto the day of judgment.
Of a verity, the doings of the ancients become a lesson to those that follow after, so that men look upon the admonitory events that have happened to others and take warning, and come to the knowledge of what befell bygone peoples and are restrained thereby. So glory be to him who hath appointed the things that have been done aforetime for an example to those that have come after. And of these admonitory instances are the histories called the Thousand and One Nights, with all their store of illustrious fables and relations. Shirzad continued. She saluted Badruddin, and he returned her salutation, and stood conversing with her. And when I heard her speech, love for her took entire possession of my heart. She then said to Badruddin, Hast thou a piece of stuff woven with pure gold thread? And have you a piece of embroidered silk decorated with hunting scenes? And he produced to her a piece, and she said, May I take it and go and send thee the price? But he answered, It is impossible, O my mistress, for this is the owner of the stuff, and I owe him a portion of the profit. Woe to thee, said she, it is my custom to take of thee each piece of stuff for a considerable sum of money, giving thee a gain beyond thy wish, and then to send thee the price. Yes, he rejoined, but I am in absolute want of the price this day. And upon this she took the piece and threw it back to him upon his breast, saying, Wearily your class knows not how to respect any person's rank. And she arose and turned away. I felt then as if my soul went with her, and rising upon my feet I said to her, O my mistress, kindly bestow a look upon me, and retrace thine honoured steps. And she returned, and smiled, and said, For thy sake I return. And she sat opposite me upon the seat of the shop, and I said to Badruddin, What is the price that thou hast agreed to give for this piece? He answered, Eleven hundred pieces of silver. And I said to him, Thy profit shall be a hundred pieces of silver. Give me then a paper, and I will write for thee the price upon it. I then took the piece of stuff from him, and wrote him the paper with my own hand, and gave the piece of stuff to the lady, saying to her, Take it and go, if thou wilt, bring the price to me in the market, or if thou wilt, it shall be my present to thee. She replied, Allah recompense thee, and bless thee with my property and make thee my husband, and may Allah accept this prayer. O my mistress, said I, let this piece of stuff be thine, and another like it, and permit me to see thy face. And upon this she raised her veil, and when I beheld her face, the sight drew from me a thousand sighs, and my heart was entangled by her love, so that I no longer remained master of my reason. She then lowered the whale again, and took the piece of stuff, saying, O oh, my master, leave me not desolate. So she departed, while I continued sitting in the market street, until past the hour of afternoon prayer, with wandering mind overpowered by love. In the access of my passion, before I rose, I asked the merchant respecting her, and he answered me, She is a rich lady the daughter of a deceased emir who left her great property. 
I then took leave of him and returned to the Khan and the supper was placed before me, but reflecting upon her I could eat nothing. I laid myself down to rest, but sleep came not to me, and I remained awake until the morning, when I arose and put on a suit of clothing different from that which I had worn the day before, and having drunk a cup of wine, and eaten a few morsels as my breakfast, repaired again to the shop of the merchant, and saluted him, and sat down with him. The lady soon came wearing a dress more rich than the former, and attended by a slave girl, and she seated herself and saluted me instead of Badruddin, and said with an eloquent tongue which I had never heard, surpassing in softness or sweetness, Send with me someone to receive the twelve hundred pieces of silver, the price of the piece of stuff. Wherefore, said I, this haste? She replied, May we never lose thee. And she handed to me the price, and I sat conversing with her, and made a sign to her which she understood, intimating my wish to visit her. Upon she arose in haste, expressing displeasure at my hint. My heart clung to her, and I followed in the direction of her steps through the market street, and lo, a slave girl came to me and said, O oh, my master, answer the summons of my mistress. Wondering at this, I answered, No one here knoweth me. How soon, she rejoined, hast thou forgotten her? My mistress is she who was today at the shop of the merchant Badruddin. So I went with her until we arrived at the money changers, and when her mistress who was there beheld me, she drew me to her side and said, O my beloved, thou hast wounded my heart, and love of thee hath taken possession of it, and from the time that I first saw thee, neither sleep nor food nor drink hath been pleasant to me. I replied, and more than that do I feel, and the state in which I am needs no complaint to testify it. Then shall I go visit thee, O my beloved, she asked, or wilt thou come to me, for our marriage must be a secret. I am a stranger, I answered, and have no place of reception but the Khan. Therefore, if thou wilt kindly permit me to go to thine abode, the pleasure will be perfect. Well, she replied, but tonight is the eve of Friday, and let nothing be done till tomorrow, when after thou hast joined in the prayers, do thou mount thine ass and inquire for the Habbaniye, and when thou hast arrived there, ask for the house called the Kaha of Barakat the Nakib, known by the surname of Abu Shahmeh, or Abu Shamah, for there do I reside, and delay not, for I shall be anxiously expecting thee. On hearing this, I rejoiced exceedingly, and we parted, and I returned to the Khan in which I lodged. I passed the whole night sleepless, and was scarcely sure that the daybreak had appeared, when I arose and changed my clothes, and having perfumed myself with essences and sweet scents, took with me fifty pieces of gold in a handkerchief, and walked from the Khan of Mansur to Bab Zuwele, 
where I mounted an ass and said to its owner, Go with me to the Habanier. And in less than a twinkling of an eye, he set off, and soon he stopped at a by street called Darb al Munakhiri. And when I said to him, Enter the street and inquire for the Ha of the Nakib, he was absent but a little while, and returning, said, Alight, walk on before me, said I, to the Ha. And he went on until he had led me to the house. Whereupon I said to him, Tomorrow come to me hither to convey me back. In the name of Allah, he replied, and I handed to him a quarter of a piece of gold, and he took it and departed. I then knocked at the door, and there came forth to me two young virgins, in whom the forms of womanhood had just developed themselves, resembling two moons, and they said, Enter, for our mistress is expecting thee and she hath not slept last night from her excessive love for thee. I entered an upper saloon, a vaulted hall with seven doors. Around it were latticed windows looking upon a garden in which were fruits of every kind and running streams and singing birds. It was plastered with imperial gypsum in which a man might see his face reflected. Its roof was ornamented with gold gilding and surrounded by inscriptions in letters of gold upon a ground of ultramarine and lapis lazuli. It comprised a variety of beauties and shone in the eyes of beholders. The pavement was of colored marbles, having in the midst of it a fountain, at whose corner were birds made of pearls and other gems with four snakes of red gold casting forth water from their mouths like pearls and jewels, and it was furnished with carpets of colored silk and mattresses. Having entered, I seated myself. Night 26 Morning now dawned, and Shehrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. Then, when it was the twenty-sixth night, she continued, I have heard, O auspicious Shehanshah, that the young merchant told the Christian, When I entered and sat down, and scarcely had I done so, when the lady approached me, she wore a crown set with pearls and jewels, her hands and feet were stained with henna, and her bosom was ornamented with gold. As soon as she beheld me, she smiled in my face, and embraced me, saying, Is it true that thou hast come to me, or is this a dream? I am thy slave, I answered, and she said, Thou art welcome. Verily, from the time when I first saw thee, neither sleep hath been sweet to me, nor hath food been pleasant. In such case have I been, I replied, and we sat down to converse, but I hung down my head towards the ground in bashfulness, and not long had I thus remained when a repast was placed before me, consisting of the most exquisite dishes as fricandos and hashes and stuffed fowls. I ate with her until we were satisfied, when they brought the basin and ewer, and I washed my hands, after which we perfumed ourselves with rose water, infused with musk, and sat down again to converse, expressing to each other our mutual passion. She then recited these lines. 
Had I known of your coming, I would have spread out my heart's blood and the pupils of my eyes. I would have strewn my cheeks to welcome you, so that you might have walked on my eyelids. She kept telling me of her sufferings, while I told her of mine, and her love took such possession of me that all the wealth I possessed seemed worthless in comparison. We then started to play, dallying with each other and exchanging kisses. In this manner we continued to enjoy ourselves until night approaching. The female slaves brought supper and wine, a complete service, and we drank until midnight. Never in my life had I passed such a night, and when morning came I arose, and having thrown to her the handkerchief containing the pieces of gold, I took leave of her and went out, but as I did so she wept and said, O oh, my master, when shall I see again this lovely face? I answered her, I will be with thee at the commencement of the night, and when I went forth I found the owner of the ass who had brought me the day before waiting for me at the door, and I mounted and returned with him to the Khan of Mansur, where I alighted and gave to him half a piece of gold, saying to him, Come hither at sunset. He replied, On the head be thy command. I entered the Khan and ate my breakfast, and then went forth to collect the price of my stuffs, after which I returned. I had prepared for my wife a roasted lamb and purchased some sweetmeats, and I now called the porter, described to him the house, and gave him his hire. Having done this, I occupied myself again with my business until sunset, when the owner of the ass came, and I took fifty pieces of gold and put them into a handkerchief. Entering the house, I found that they had wiped the marble and polished the vessels of copper and brass, and filled the lamps and lighted the candles, and dished the supper and strained the wine. And when my wife saw me, she threw her arms around my neck and said, Thou hast made me desolate by thine absence. The tables were then placed before us, and we ate until we were satisfied, and the slave girls took away the first table and placed before us the wine, and we sat drinking and eating of dried fruits and making merry until midnight. We then slept until morning, when I arose and handed her the fifty pieces of gold as before, and left her. The donkey man was there, and I rode to the Khan, where I slept for an hour. After getting up, I made preparations for the evening meal, getting ready walnuts and almonds on a bed of peppered rice, together with fried coloclasia roots. I brought fruits, fresh and dried, as well as sweet-smelling flowers. When I had sent these off, I went back to the Khan, and later I rode as usual with the donkey man to the house, taking fifty dinars wrapped in a kerchief. After I had entered, we ate, drank, and then slept until morning. When I got up, gave the lady the kerchief, and then rode back as usual to the Khan. Thus I continued to do for a long time, until I passed the night and awoke possessing not a piece of silver, nor one of gold. And I said within myself, This is the work of the devil. And I repeated these verses. Poverty causeth the luster of a man to grow dim, like the yellowness of the setting sun. When absent, he is not remembered among mankind, 
and when present he shareth not their pleasures. In the market streets he shunneth notice, and in desert places he poureth forth his tears. By Allah, a man among his own relations, when afflicted with poverty, is as a stranger. And I recited these lines. When the rich man becomes poor, his splendor goes, just as the setting sun turns pale. If he is absent, no one talks of him. When present, he has no standing in his clan. He walks through the markets covering his face, while in the desert he sheds copious tears. By Allah, he may be with his own people, but even so, the poor man is a stranger. With these reflections, I walked forth to Bayan al-Kaysarin, and proceeded hence to Bab Zuwayleh, where I found the people crowding together, so that the gate was stopped up by the number, and as destiny willed, I saw there a trooper, and unintentionally pressing against him, my hand came in contact with his pocket, and I felt it, and found that it contained a purse, and I caught hold of the purse, and took it from his pocket. But the trooper felt that his pocket was lightened, and putting his hand into it, found nothing, upon which he looked aside at me, and raised his hand with the mace, and struck me upon my head. I fell to the ground, and people surrounded us, and seized the bridle of the trooper's horse, saying, On account of the crowd, dost thou strike this young man such a blow? Do you strike this young man like that, because you have been jostled? But he called out to them and said, This is a robber. He is a damned thief. The soldier shouted at them. I then came to my senses and found people saying, This is a handsome young man, and he has not taken anything. On hearing this I feared. The people around me said, This is a comely young man, and hath taken nothing. While some, however, believed this, others disbelieved. And after many words, the people dragged me along, desiring to liberate me. But as it was predestined, there came at this moment the wali and other magistrates entering the gate, and seeing the people surrounding me and the trooper, the wali said, What is the news? The trooper answered, By Allah, O Amir, this is a robber. I had in my pocket a blue purse containing twenty pieces of gold, and he took it while I was pressed by the crowd. Was any one with thee? asked the wali. The trooper answered, No. And the wali called out to the chief of his servants, saying, Seize him and search him. So he seized me, and protection was withdrawn from me. And the wali said to him, Strip him of all that is upon him. And when he did so, they found the purse in my clothes, and the wali taking it, counted the money, and found it to be twenty pieces of gold, as the trooper had said. Whereupon he was enraged, and called out to his attendants, saying, Bring him forward. They therefore brought me before him, and he said to me, O young man, tell the truth, didst thou steal this purse? And I hung down my head towards the ground, saying within myself, if I answer that I did not steal it, it will be useless, for he hath produced it from my clothes, and if I say I stole it, I fall into trouble. Thus I raised my head and said, Yes, I took it. And when the wali heard these words, he wondered and called witnesses, who presented themselves and gave their testimony to my confession. All this took place at Bab Zuwayleh. 
The wali then ordered the executioner to cut off my hand, and he cut off my right hand, but the heart of the trooper was moved with compassion for me, and he interceded for me that I should not be killed. So the wali left me and departed. The people, however, continued around me, and gave me to drink a cup of wine, and the trooper gave me the purse, saying, Thou art a comely youth, and it is not fit that thou shouldest be a thief. You are a handsome young man, and you should not be a thief. And I took it from him and addressed him with these verses. By Allah, good sir, I was not a robber, nor was I a thief, O best of mankind. But fortune's vicissitudes overthrew me suddenly, and anxiety and trouble and poverty overpowered me. I cast it not, but it was the deity who cast an arrow that threw down the kingly diadem from my head. I recited the lines. By Allah, I am no robber, my trusty friend, and neither am I a thief, O best of men. The misfortunes of time cast me down suddenly, as my cares, temptations, and poverty increased. It was not you, but Allah, who shot the arrow that struck the royal crown from off my head. The trooper then left me and departed, after having given me the purse, and I went my way. But I first wrapped my hand in a piece of rag and put it in my bosom. My condition thus altered, and my countenance pallid in consequence of my suffering. I walked to the Ha, and in a disordered state of mind threw myself upon the bed. My wife, seeing my complexion thus changed, said to me, What hath pained thee, and wherefore do I see thee thus altered? I answered her, My head acheth, and I am not well. And on hearing this, she was vexed and became ill on my account, and said, Burn not my heart, O my master. Sit up and raise thy head, and tell me what hath happened to thee this day, for I read a tale in thy face. Abstain from speaking to me, I replied. And she wept and said, It seemeth that thou art tired of us, for I see thee to be conducting thyself in a manner contrary to thy usual habit. Then she wept again and continued addressing me, though I made no reply until the approach of night, when she placed some food before me, but I abstained from it, fearing that she should see me eat with my left hand, and said, I have no desire to eat at present. She then said again, Tell me what hath happened to thee this day, and wherefore I see thee anxious and broken-hearted. I answered, I will presently tell thee at my leisure. And she put the wine towards me, saying, Take it, for it will dispel thine anxiety, and thou must drink, and tell me thy story. Take this, for it will remove your cares. You have to drink, and then you can tell me your news. Must I really tell you? I asked. Yes, she replied. I replied, therefore, if it must be so, give me to drink with thy hand. And she filled a cup and drank it, and then filled it again and handed it to me, and I took it from her with my left hand. And while tears ran from my eyes, I repeated these verses. When Allah willeth an event to befall a man who is endowed with reason and hearing and sight, he deafeneth his ears and blindeth his heart and draweth his reason from him as a hair, till having fulfilled his purpose against him, he restoreth him his reason that he may be admonished.
I recited, when Allah wills some fate to befall a man, a man of intelligence, having all his senses, he deafens him and blinds his heart, drawing out his intelligence as one pulls a hair. When what he has decreed then comes to pass, he gives it back that its owner may take note. Having thus said, I wept again, and when she saw me do so, she uttered a loud cry and said, What is the reason of thy weeping? Thou hast burned my heart, and wherefore didst thou take the cup with thy left hand? I answered her, I have a boil upon my right hand. Then put it forth, said she, that I may open it for thee. It is not yet, I replied, the proper time for opening it, and continue not to ask me, for I will not put it forth at present. I then drank the contents of the cup, and she continued to hand me the wine, until intoxication overcame me, and I fell asleep in the place where I was sitting, upon which she discovered that my right arm was without a hand, and searching me, she saw the purse containing the gold. Grief, such as none else experienced, overcame her at the sight, and she suffered incessant torment on my account until the morning, when I awoke and found that she had prepared for me a dish composed of four boiled fowls, which she placed before me. She then gave me to drink a cup of wine, and I ate and drank, and put down the purse and was about to depart, but she said, Whither wouldest thou go? I answered, To such a place to dispel somewhat of the anxiety which oppresseth my heart. Go not, she said, but rather sit down again. So I sat down, and she said to me, Hath thy love of me become so excessive that thou hast expended all thy wealth upon me and lost thy hand? I take thee then as witness against me, and Allah also is witness that I will never desert thee, and thou shalt see the truth of my words. Immediately, therefore, she sent for a witness who came, and she said to them, Write my contract of marriage to this young man, and bear witness that I have received the dowry. And they did as she desired them, after which she said, Bear witness that all my property which is in this chest, and all my mamluks and female slaves belong to this young man. Accordingly, they declared themselves witnesses to her declaration, and I accepted the property and they departed after they had received their fees. She then took me by my hand, and having led me to a closet, opened a large chest, and said to me, See what is contained in this chest. I looked, therefore, and lo, it was full of handkerchiefs. And she said, This is thy property, which I have received from thee. For every time that thou givest me a handkerchief containing fifty pieces of gold, I wrap it up and threw it into this chest. Take then thy property, for Allah hath restored it to thee, and thou art now of high estate. Faith has affected thee on my account, so that thou hast lost thy right hand, and I am unable to compensate thee. If I should sacrifice my life, it would be but a small thing, and thy generosity would still have surpassed mine. She then added, Now take possession of thy property. So I received it, and she transferred the contents of her chest to mine, adding her property to mine, which I had given her. My heart rejoiced, my anxiety ceased, and I approached and kissed her, and made myself merry by drinking with her, 
After which she said again, Thou hast sacrificed all thy wealth and thy hand through love of me, and how can I compensate thee? By Allah, if I give my life for love of thee, it were but a small thing, and I should not do justice to thy claims upon me. She then wrote a deed of gift transferring to me all her apparel and her ornaments of gold and jewels, and her houses and other possessions, and she passed the night in grief on my account, having heard my relation of the accident that had befallen me. Thus we remained less than a month, during which time she became more and more infirm and disordered and she endured no more than fifty days before she was numbered among the people of the other world. So I prepared her funeral and deposited her body in the earth, and having caused recitations of the Quran to be performed for her, and given a considerable sum of money in alms for her sake, returned from the tomb. I found that she had possessed abundant wealth and houses and lands, and among her property were the storerooms of sesame, which I sold to thee the contents of one, and I was not prevented from settling with thee during this period, but my being busied in selling the remainder, the price of which I have not yet entirely received. Now I desire of thee that thou wilt not oppose me in that which I am about to say to thee, since I have eaten of thy food, I give thee the price of the sesame, which is in thy hands. This which I have told thee was a cause of my eating with my left hand. I replied, Thou hast treated me with kindness and generosity. And he again said, Thou must travel with me to my country, for I have brought merchandise of Cairo and Alexandria. Wilt thou accompany me? I answered, Yes, and promised him that I would be ready by the first day of the following month. So I sold all that I possessed, and having brought merchandise with the produce, traveled with the young man to this thy country, where he sold his merchandise, and brought other in its stead, after which he returned to the land of Egypt. But it was my lot to remain here, and to experience that which hath befallen me this night during my absence from my native country. Now is this not, O oh, Sultan of the age, more wonderful than the story of the humpback. The Sultan replied, Ye must be hanged, all of you. Night 27 Morning now dawned, and Shehrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. Then, when it was the twenty-seventh night, she continued, I have heard, O auspicious Shehanshah, that the Sultan replied, I must certainly hang you all. And upon this the Sultan's steward advanced towards the Sultan and said, If thou permit me, I will relate to thee a story that I happened to hear just before I found this humpback, and if it be more wonderful than the events related to him, wilt thou grant us our lives? The Sultan answered, Tell thy story. And he began thus. The story told by the Sultan's steward. I was last night with a party who celebrated a recitation of the Quran, for which purpose they had assembled the Fakis and the professors of religion and law. And when these reciters had accomplished their task, 
the servants spread a repast comprising among other dishes a zirbaje. We approached therefore to eat of the zirbaje, but one of the company drew back and refused to partake in it. We conjured him, yet he swore he would not eat it, and we pressed him again, but he said, Press me not, for I have suffered enough from eating of this dish. And he recited, Shoulder your belongings and be on your way. If you like this coal, anoint yourself with it. And when we had finished, we said to him, By Allah, tell us the reason of thine abstaining from eating of this zirbaje. He replied, Because I cannot eat of it unless I wash my hands forty times with kali, and forty times with cypress, and forty times with soap, altogether a hundred and twenty times. And upon this the giver of the entertainment ordered his servants, and they brought water and other things which this man required. So he washed his hands as he described, and advanced through with disgust, and having seated himself, stretched forth his hand as one in fear, and put it into the zirbaje, and began to eat, while we regarded him with the utmost wonder. His hand trembled, and when he put it forth, we saw that his thumb was cut off, and he ate with his four fingers. We therefore said to him, We conjure thee, by Allah, to tell us how thy thumb maimed. Was it thus created by Allah, or hath some accident happened to it? O my brothers, he answered, not only have I lost this thumb, but also the thumb of the other hand, and each of my feet is in like manner deprived of the great toe. But see ye. And so saying, he uncovered the stump of the thumb of his other hand, and we found it like the right, and so also his feet, destitute of the great toes. At the sight of this, our wonder increased, and we said to him, We are impatient to hear thy story, and thine account of the cause of the amputation of thy thumb and great toes, and the reason for thy washing thy hands a hundred and twenty times. So he said, Know that my father was a great merchant, the chief of the merchants of the city of Baghdad, in the time of the Khalif Harun al-Rashid, but he was ardently addicted to the drinking of wine, and hearing the lute and other musical instruments, and when he died he left nothing. I buried him and caused recitations of the Quran to be performed for him. And after I had mourned him for days and nights, I opened his shop and found that he had left in it but few goods, and that his debts were many. However, I induced his creditors to wait and calmed their minds, and betook myself to selling and buying from week to week, and so paying the creditors. Thus I continued to do for a considerable period, until I had discharged all the debts and increased my capital. And as I was sitting one day, I beheld a young lady, than whom my eye had never beheld any more beautiful, decked with magnificent ornaments and apparels, riding on a mule with a slave before her and a slave behind her. And she stopped the mule at the entrance of the market street and entered followed by a eunuch, who said to her, O my mistress, enter, but inform no one, 
who thou art, lest thou open the fire of indignation upon us. The eunuch then further cautioned her, and when she looked at the shops of the merchants, she found none more handsome than mine. So when she arrived before me, with the eunuch following her, she sat down upon the seat of my shop, and saluted me, and I never heard speech more charming than her, or words more sweet. She then drew aside the veil from her face, and I directed at her a glance which drew from me a sigh. I saw that she was as radiant as the moon. My heart was captivated by her love, and I continued repeatedly gazing at her face and recited these two verses. Say to the beauty in the dove-colored veil, Death would indeed be welcome to relieve me of thy torment. Favor me with a visit, that so I may live. See, I stretch forth my hand to accept thy liberality. And when she heard my recitation of them, she answered thus, May I lose my heart if it cease to love you, for verily my heart loveth none but you. If my eye regard any charms but yours, may the sight of you never rejoice it after absence. I recited, Say to the lovely girl in the wail of the ringdove's coloring, It is certain that only death will relieve me from the torture you inflict. Grant me union that may perhaps give me life. Here is my hand stretched to you, hoping for bounty. On hearing that she replied, I cannot bear the pangs of love, but may you find relief, whereas my heart loves none but you. If my eyes look at any loveliness but yours, may this parting lead to no delight. I have sworn an oath never to forget your love. My heart is sad, though proud that we once met. Passion has poured a brimming glass of love. Would that it poured for you what it has poured for me. Take my corpse with you on your travels, and where you halt, bury me facing you. Call my name by my grave, and then my bones will groan in answer when they hear your call. If I asked what I desire from Allah, I would reply, His favor, merciful is he, followed by yours. She then said to me, O youth, hast thou any handsome stuffs? O my mistress, I answered, thy slave is a poor man, but wait until the other merchants open their shops, and then I will bring thee what thou desirest. So I conversed with her, drowned in the sea of her love, and bewildered by my passions for her, until the merchants had opened their shops, when I arose and procured all that she wanted, and the price of these stuffs was five thousand pieces of silver. The merchants made me guarantee the purchase price, and so I shouldered the debt, and she handed them all to the eunuch who took them, after which they both went out from the market street, and the slaves brought to her the mule, and she mounted, without telling me whence she was and I was ashamed to mention the subject to her. Consequently, I became answerable for the price to the merchants, incurring a debt of 5,000 pieces of silver. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on coffee. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, please click on the link available on our many social media platforms or email us. Why not donate to our coffee to show your appreciation?
Every bit helps, and we thank you for your continued support. We love that our listeners love listening to us. Welcome to the vocabulary section for episode 20. First, let's look at some of the terms that were used in this episode. Bob Zuele or Bob Zuela. One of the three remaining gates in the city walls of the old city of Cairo. Known as Bawabat al-Mitwali during the Ottoman period. Considered one of the major landmarks of the city. Last remaining southern gate from the walls of the Fatimid era Cairo in the 11th and 12th centuries. Bridle. The headgear used to control a horse consisting of buckled straps to which a bit and reins are attached. Diadem. A jeweled crown or headband worn as a symbol of sovereignty. Kali, genus of plants with common names of buckbush, roly-poly, and tumbleweed. For its wind-blown seed dispersal habit. Cypress, genus of plants belonging to the sedge family, consisting of 700 species. Lute, plucked string instrument with a neck and a deep round back, enclosing a hollow cavity, usually with a sound hole or opening. Dove-colored, warm gray color with a slight pink or purplish tint. Cloclasia roots, also known as taro, a root vegetable. Kerchief, a piece of fabric used to cover the head or worn tied around the neck. Ring-dove's coloring, pale, dull, creamy color. Habanie. Sharia al-Habaniye is a street in Cairo. Barakat, Arabic name meaning blessings. Nakib, an official whose duties varied according to time and place, was often used to refer to the chief representative of the Ashraf, descendants of Ali Raziyatala Anho. Shameh or Shama, name meaning heaven, heavens, or sky, or in Arabic means candle wax. Darb al-Munakkiri or Darb al-Munkari is a street in Cairo. Imperial gypsum, mineral composed of calcium sulfate dehydrate used in plaster, drywall, and blackboard or sidewalk chalk. Fricandos, a loin of veal braised or roasted. Hashes, a dish of cooked meat cut into small pieces and cooked again usually with potatoes. Ewer, a large jug with a wide mouth formerly used for carrying water for someone to wash in. Basin, a bowl for washing, a wide round open container, especially one used for holding liquid. Now let's look at some of the vocabulary used in this episode. Luster, a gentle sheen or glow especially that of a partially reflected surface. Comely. Pleasant to look at or attractive. Typically used of a woman. Interceded. Intervene on behalf of another. Vicissitudes. A change of circumstances or fortune. Typically one that is unwelcome or unpleasant. Definith. Archaic third person singular simple present indicative form of defin. Incessant. Continuing without pause or interruption. Afflicted, cause pain or suffering to, affect or trouble. Busied, 
keep occupied, conjured, grant or bestow, indignation, anger or annoyance provoked by what is perceived as unfair treatment, recompense, make amends to someone for loss or harm suffered, compensate, alight, descend from a train, bus or another form of transport, bashfulness, very shy or easily embarrassed. This episode has been written, edited, and produced by Saf Big. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day and or night. And may the journeys on which you are set upon be fruitful. Thank you for listening.